0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 22 Bonus Episode Wonderful Christmas Time Hey everyone. Today's episode is a special episode, and it's not going to be appearing in our main podcast RSS feed. Today's episode is a Christmas present from myself, Andrew and Matt, to all our lovely Patreon supporters. To all of you who support us, thank you so much. Thank you for making running this podcast so much easier, being able to get somebody else to do the editing, restoring to me my sanity and time with my lovely wife. Today's episode is going to be a little different. In the run-up to Christmas, I contacted Andrew and Matt and I asked them to sit down with their microphones and pick a passage from one of Lewis's works and read it to you. And then afterwards share a little bit about why that passage is so important to them. And although this is an unusual episode, I couldn't quite bring myself to depart entirely from our usual format. So we still have a song of the week, and it's wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney. We still have a drink of the week, and given the season, naturally I chose eggnog. And we also have a quote of the week. And the quote of the week comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And with that, over to Andrew.
1: Well, good afternoon. Andrew Lazo here. It is the second Sunday of Advent as I record this, and uh, this is my Christmas contribution to Pints with Jack Christmas episode and grateful, grateful for mm, the part that I've been able to play uh, in this wonderful podcast this year. Um, So starting out by wishing you all a very happy Advent. I actually have right next to me. You can't see it on the radio, but Kristen and I discovered the Advent, uh, the Narnia Advent calendar. So we've been faithfully opening up the doors. So hope that you are having a blessed Advent. For those of you who are familiar with the liturgical calendar, the new church year uh, has begun, and so <laughs> I have never been so excited about finishing a year uh, as as this last one, but there have also been many blessings. God has not fallen asleep, and he has not forgotten about us, and his faithfulness continues. So thanks to him for a new advent, new beginnings, and for the chance to take a few moments to think about Christmas, and uh, each of us are... Recording um, some, some muses and meditations about a favorite Lewis passage, and I thought this was the perfect opportunity to talk about one of mine. This is Lewis's poem, The Nativity, and so I'm going to go ahead and read this to you, and then talk a little bit about it. Um, uh, there's, uh, Lewis has interesting poetry, and uh, and there are differing opinions about the, the varying quality of it, but uh, I think this is one of those that I find uh, nearly perfect. So, The Nativity by C.S. Lewis. Among the oxen, like an ox I'm slow, I see a glory in the stable grow, which, with the ox's dullness, might at length give me an ox's strength. Among the ass's stubborn eye as they, I see my savior where I looked for hay. So may my beast-like folly learn at least the patience of a beast. Among the sheep I like a sheep have strayed, I watch the manger where my Lord is laid, oh, that my baing nature would win thence some woolly innocence. So the nativity by c. S. Lewis. I love these three passages, these three uh, three stanzas, and I love how Lewis so often, reflects on his own shortcomings. I was struck this year when I I think I saw a meme on Facebook uh, of a quote from Letters to Malcolm that I had clean forgotten, where Lewis talks about how weak his spiritual condition is. And he said their language is almost too... uh, There is almost no language weak enough to describe the weakness of my condition. And then he compares it to turning the gas on the stove down till it flickers and almost goes out. Um, and if he was that weak, well, for goodness sakes, um, what a good example of humility. And that's the theme that I see coming through this poem, the nativity. You have these parenthetical phrases and, uh, Uh, Of course, I couldn't make it through without mentioning Till We Have Faces, but one of the great characteristics of that book is that Orwell, as dishonest and self-deceived as she so often is, can't help but speak the truth from time to time, and very often she does that by means of parenthetical statements. So as you reread that book, look for the things she says in parentheses, and those are usually things that are honest and true. Well, here too, uh, among the oxen, like an ox, I'm slow, and uh, I think that it's typically Lewis. It's the turnaround that we see. I think in the preface to *Mere Christianity*, that he looks at his uh, at his sins as being perversions of good qualities that he doesn't have. Um, he says, "I am no gambler, but I probably lack the virtue of being uh, courageous to take risks." He talks about his slowness and certainly he was slow to come to faith, slow to come back to faith. Uh, There's been some chatter back and forth even this week about how in 1951 Lewis talked about how he had just recently begun to believe in the forgiveness of sins. Um, It was not long after he began uh, going to give uh, the the sacrament of confession with Father Walter Adams at St. Mary um, St. Mary Magdalene Church there in Oxford, right by the Martyrs Memorial. And so this, this slowness, the this slowness to come, the slowness to realize, this slowness to repent, the slowness to let go of those difficult things that we hold on to. Um, his realization very late in life, 20 years after his father died, that he had treated his father abominably. And so there's this verse, among the oxen, like an ox, I'm slow. I see a glory in the stable grow. And that idea of growing, I think, is so hopeful. And that's part of, what, uh, part of why Lewis inspires me so much is that there's this idea of growth. I can't remember quite where, but he says somewhere that uh, the mind never runs out of space. You can always memorize more things. You can always put more things in there. And I think that one of the one of the things that flummoxes people about Lewis, but I think one of his most vital life-giving qualities is that he continued to grow throughout his lifetime. As somebody who took his master's in modernist British literature, I he, I couldn't, I can't help but notice that Lewis didn't like modernist British literature. He didn't like a lot of the modernist poems, but uh, by the end of his life he was Certainly, um, certainly, continuing to uh, to grow in his appreciation of poetry, and uh, and actually came to came to really love and appreciate uh, a lot of modernist poetry, which uh, it, it makes it hard to kind of pin him down. Um, it makes it hard to put him in a pigeonhole, and so he grows. Um, and he also sees that with the ox's dullness, uh, this glory might at length give him an ox's strength. And that's a helpful thing for me, too. I mean, even as we look at 2020, and certainly the, you know, it has been more than easy to trash this year, um, but this year also has uh, helped us to grow closer in many ways. Um even as much as we're probably all tired of Zoom, it offers us the chance to get together in many ways in ways that we that we wouldn't otherwise. It's been a lot of years since I spent time with one side of my family, and we have a Zoom planned on Christmas. Um, there uh, the the isolation and the quarantine uh, has led to Kristen and me spending much more time together, and that perhaps wouldn't have happened um I had some family members who had covid and they had to stay in their apartment with their two kids and uh that would not have happened otherwise and we've i'm I'm certain seen these stories of pollution clearing up in China and and wildlife returning all over the place i think that there are uh there are blessings to the difficult things and i don't think that god sends us the difficult things or I'm not saying he's in charge of the pandemic that he sent it to us, but that he can help us to grow, help us to turn things around, help us to find reasons for closeness um, in, in 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 all of the circumstances. And of course, as he says in learning in wartime, uh, that these dire circumstances just remind us of what has always been true. We were always going to die, and uh, and this disease helps us to think more about. Uh, what we should do with the days that we have until we die. And this poem does the same thing, I think. Among the asses' stubborn I as they, I see my Savior where I looked for hay. And this line always just brings tears to my eyes. Um, And it's another uh, another quality of Lewis's that I so treasure, Um, how much he helps me to see that... um, that I look for, that, that my eyes are damaged, that, that I look for the wrong things, that I'm so short-sighted. I talk often about how he chucks us under the chin, that, um, that the concepts that we find in him uh, help us to realize that God is higher, not lower, than what we had imagined. He's everything that we imagined and so much more. And Lewis helps me to catch a glimpse of the uh, of the heavenly, of the skyward, of the upward. And so too here. I can't help but think of, uh, of the ass puzzle um, in, in uh, the last battle and also of St. Francis talking about brother ass for the body uh, when I read Lewis talking about the asses and how he is stubborn as they are. But stubbornness is a good thing and not changing is a good thing. But so often how, uh, how we uh, look for hay Um, and aren't looking for anything even better than hay. But our Lord surprises us there. A friend of mine years ago reminded me that to the pure, all things are pure. And so God can help us to see him even when we look for the most uh, deadly, dull, mundane things. And from that, um, maybe our beast-like folly can teach us the patience of a beast. The fact that we continue on. Uh, that that the quotidian, that the everyday, the the plodding, is in some ways where the glory of the stable is revealed. How often does the psalm do the psalms tell us to wait? And it seems so crazy uh, that waiting would be such a big part of the Christian life when this life seems so fleeting. I'm about to turn 55, and the years keep rolling and rolling and rolling along. But this waiting on the Lord is something that needs to, be, uh, needs to be developed, says Lewis. And maybe this waiting can be more of a, of a sense of waiting tables, of standing attendance, of looking out for what the Lord might need. And by the Lord, of course, we mean his people, because he promised that he would be present in the poor, in those to whom we extend a, a healing hand, an, an act of mercy, Uh, a token, however small, of love, a cup of cold water, or a cup of Christmas cheer. Among the sheep, I, like a sheep, have strayed. And how true that is, he talks in the screw tape letters about getting off just a little bit uh, from the path, because when added to eternity, that little bit will grow into much. Um, The straying, I think, is the rule. It's the law of undulations, as we talk about in Screw Tape Letters. This idea that I go from the path and then the Lord leads me back to the path. And this idea of being a sheep who needs (laughs) the rod and the staff. The rod is the club that you hit hit the sheep with, I believe. And the staff is that hook that you grab him by the neck and get him back on the right path. And how often I need those corrections. Um, and I'm grateful to Lewis for, uh, for those reminders. I watch the manger where my Lord is laid. There's such a great pun to that. Because manger is French for food, right? To eat. Um, and the manger is the eating trough. And so maybe even if I was only looking for my own kind of earthly physical needs, um, whose God is their belly, it's, as St. Paul says, maybe if that's all I'm looking for, even the hunger of the physical body can remind me that the soul is hungry, is the soul is longing, and there's that great idea of longing and joy once more. It points, of course, to our lack, our great lack, and the thing that we lack most is love, and love himself, love incarnate, who comes down in this season, and maybe that I can li- I can learn from this trough, this this food, uh, this 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 manger, this place for eating, uh, when I see my Lord laid there, and I think that there's certainly um, an 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 element uh, of that of the Eucharist. Um, there. I think that in some ways, all eating and drinking can be Eucharistic. And so for our Lord to be laid in the manger, laid in the place of food, and for him on the first night of his life, and then on the last night of his life, to sit at a table and say, this is my body and this is my blood. And you know, I've thought for years and wonder if this is perhaps true, that When our Lord says, do this in remembrance of me, certainly he means the highest that our our Eucharistic theology can reach, but I also think that um, he says, do this whenever you drink it, do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. I think that all eating and all drinking help us to remember him, can be reminders of him. All hunger. Lewis said that taken in the right spirit, even a missed meal can become a voluntary fast, right? If I have to go without, I can offer that going without as a gift to the Lord. It may be bitter. It may be hard. I have a friend right now who's going through something he very much doesn't want to go through. But he has the courage to offer even that, that suffering, that lack, that difficulty back to the Lord. And I think that that's implied here in this poem as well and that we should get some woolly innocence. Um, Woolly, of course, has another double meaning. It means our lack of, it speaks of our lack of understanding, uh, you know, woolly headed. Um, But even in that that misunderstanding and that lack of understanding, there's an innocence promised to us and an innocence that he will infuse onto us, uh, that he will give us as a gift. And so this sweet little poem about the nativity, uh, the naivete, the, the the birth. And so I pray that by means of this poem, by means of our time here on Pints with Jack, by means of the work of C.S. Lewis, uh, that we can, can re- receive again this idea of being born, being born anew, uh, being born again, whatever your Christian tradition is, Um, having him be born inside of us, and this idea that Emmanuel is always with us, um, that the incarnation is always happening. So maybe everything is incarnational, just like everything is Eucharistic. Maybe this world is God-haunted and made sacred by the sacraments. Maybe all of life is sacramental life, if I can just open my eyes uh, uh, to see it and if I can grow in my understanding, uh, although I'm slow, and that if I can be stubborn in holding to these truths. So those are some of my thoughts about this little poem for Christmas, and I pray that God will give you a wonderful Christmas. Um, Even in your deprivation, I pray that God will show up if you are not where you want to be, I pray that you will recognize the absence of Christ coming to this world if you are not with the people that you want to be. I pray that if things are disappointing or broken or empty, that even in those disappointments and those brokennesses and those emptinesses, you could recognize the life of Christ coming to you. And that all of those longings serve as signposts pointing to love, love who came in this season Uh, of our mortal life, and love who will come again, and love who will meet you just now in whatever room you find yourself, be you merry or sad, love that will find you and give you all that you need this Christmas and every day. So God bless us, everyone. God bless you in particular as you're uh, listening to this. As I finish, I'll say a prayer for you uh, in my own room Uh, and pray that that meets you wherever you find yourself. God bless you, and uh, looking forward to a very happy new year.
0: And next up, we have Matt.
2: Friends, as I reflected on the question of what is a passage to share with you guys, to read from Lewis, that most speaks to the truth and the beauty that I have found in Lewis's works. I wanted to start with my favorite concepts of Lewis, and I wanted this passage to encapsulate the concept of theosis and Holy Trinity. For many of you that have followed us, particularly from season one or gone back to season one, you will know how much those concepts drastically impacted my view of what Christianity is of my relationship with Christ, with our Father, and with the Holy Spirit, and how I approach the spiritual journey, that journey towards perfect communion with God. And so I wanted the passage to encapsulate that. But rather than a non-fiction passage from like mere Christianity that could essentially state those concepts, I wanted it to come from fiction, because in his fiction works, so often, Lewis shows the beauty of a concept rather than just explicitly telling you it. And so then the next question was, well, which work do I pick a passage from? And of course, none other than my favorite work, which is our season two book, The Great Divorce. And so this is a passage from the very end of The Great Divorce when we have the beautiful lady in its More or less a poem. And so I want to read it here. And I believe it encapsulates these concepts so beautifully. And so here I begin. The happy Trinity is her home. Nothing can trouble her joy. She is the bird that evades every net. The wild deer that leaps every pitfall. Like the mother bird to its chickens or a shield to the armed knight. So is the Lord to her mind in his unchanging lucidity. Bogies will not scare her in the dark. Bullets will not frighten her by the day. Falsehoods tricked out as truths assail her in vain. She sees through the lie as if it were glass. The invisible germ will not harm her, nor yet the glittering sunstroke. A thousand fail to solve the problem. 10,000 choose the wrong turning, but she passes safely through. He details immortal gods to attend her upon every road where she must travel. They take her hand at hard places. She will not stub her toes in the dark. She may walk among lions and rattlesnakes, among dinosaurs and nurseries of lionettes. He fills her brim full with immensity of life. He leads her to see the world's desire. There is so much in that that is so beautiful. But before I explain why I find that beautiful, I do now want to read a nonfiction paragraph from Mere Christianity that talks about the Holy Trinity. And here's what Lewis writes, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance, the whole dance or drama or pattern of this three personal life is to be played out in each one of us or putting it the other way around. Each one of us has got to enter that pattern take his place in that dance, there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Tell me that what I read before this is not that in fiction. When we enter into that Trinitarian dance, that pulsating, dynamic life of the Trinity, three persons, distinct yet one being, we're drawn up into a life that transforms us. As Lewis writes in in Mere Christianity, we become new men. Not just better. We experience joy, communion, peace. I like how he puts at the end, there is no other way to happiness for which we were made. And when I read, read that initial passage, and it says nothing can trouble her joy. She's a bird that evades every net. The wild deer that leaps every pitfall. It just it speaks to exactly that concept. Everything in there was about the fact that she is so in communion with the Trinity, partaking in that dance. It's what we all desire. And I'm a big believer in why I chose this passage, is when our why is strong enough, shoulds become musts. And so when we're on this spiritual journey... Every day we all know, and I'm just as guilty of this as anyone, saying, I should do this today. You know, I should spend a little bit more time in prayer today, or I really should go to this novena, or I should go to Mass today, or I should spend some time in adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament with Christ, in His presence, with Him, and bring Him into my life. And a lot of times there shoulds, and about half the time I do them, and sometimes a third of the time I do them. But when I read that passage, I think to myself, I'm not there yet. I'm stumbling in the pitfalls. I'm the bird that's getting trapped in the net. My joy does get rattled. And the reason for that is because as we learn in the great divorce, which that passage is from, there's parts of me that I am not giving to God. There's parts of me that I'm holding back. I am not fully entering into that Trinitarian dance. And so... This is a Christmas special. We're in the holiday season. In Christ is becoming it's a celebration of him becoming incarnate, our our heavenly father becoming incarnate in the god of the creator of the universe entering into this creation. And I want that image to be in our minds as we go into 2021 and we look back from this past year to desire that Christ would form within us, to desire theosis. The Son of God became man, so man could become sons of God. Well, we're celebrating that right now. And so as you're listening to this, in this Advent season, in this time of God becoming man, ask yourself, make your prayer, Lord, please enter into me. Or even if, depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, Lord, help me desire for you to form within me. Help me to desire you more than anything. Please let me be absorbed into that Trinitarian dance. Whatever walls, whatever barriers, whatever guards are preventing me from doing that, Lord, please, I pray that you would knock them down. Use this as that chance where I'm freely allowing you to bust through all of the barriers that I put up. And so I pray that for every single one of you listeners, we are so incredibly grateful for all of you. And this ministry has been such a blessing. These concepts, as I share them, as David, myself, as Andrew, have unpacked Lewis and his works over these last few years, we're on this journey too. So I wanted to share this passage and these concepts, Theosis, the Holy Trinity, which were so central to Lewis's theology, because... They are so profound to what Christianity really offers. It's not just a philosophical concept. It's not just a set of beliefs, constructs, moral teaching. It's so much more. It's this dynamic, pulsating life. And so I hope you guys enjoy that. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did rereading it. And I have a feeling that's going to become a part of my daily reading in the mornings as just a reminder of the why. And so I appreciate every single one of you guys. Uh, you're in my prayers in this season. And I wish you guys all a very, very Merry Christmas.
0: For myself, I went back and forth quite a bit as to what passage to read to you today. I very much wanted to read a particular passage from the Chronicles of Narnia, but we haven't got to that book yet in the series. And I really didn't want to spoil it for Matt. So in the end, I settled on a sermon that was preached by Lewis, which we've actually referenced quite a bit on the show, The Weight of Glory, which Lewis first gave at the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin on June 8th, 1941. And although we've cited this sermon quite a lot in the show and even read a little bit from it, we've only ever read a sentence or two. So what I want to do in today's episode would be just to read the final page or so of Lewis's sermon. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you would now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendours. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love, with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love, as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ, vere latitat, the glorifier and the glorified. Glory himself is truly hidden. I chose this passage because, well, (laughs) 2020... It's been a year. Uh, It's been full of strife. It's been full of suffering. And one only has to peek onto social media to see that tempers are running high and patience is running low. And so I think more than anything else, what we need is a real shot in the arm. A shot in the arm to remind us about our neighbor. It's something so easy to, to parrot, it's something so easy to say, oh yes, of course, we should love our neighbours. But what I really love about this sermon of Lewis's is it drives the point home in no uncertain terms. Lewis begins by saying that it might be possible to think about our own future glory a little bit too much. But he says that the one thing that we can't think about too much is the glory of our neighbor, the person that we meet in the grocery store line, the person that we work with. And he says it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, he doesn't literally mean that people will become gods and goddesses. It's not like you're suddenly going to become Zeus or anything. He's speaking the language of theosis, the idea that eternity will be sharing in the divine life of God, and that will raise us up in a new and mind-boggling way. And so he says it's a serious thing every day to meet people who will one day share fully in the divine life of God. No matter how dull they were, no matter how uninteresting they were, if you could see what they will one day might become, you might be tempted to fall down and worship them. But that's only one of the two options. We always speak about heavenly and hellish creatures. Well, there is also the hellish option. And in this sermon, Lewis says that each of us, we help one another on to our ultimate destination. And I don't know about you, but that's a real gut check for me. Do the things that I say and the things that I do, do those help nudge my neighbors further towards heaven or the other place? Am I helping them know God better or worse? And he says that it's with this idea firmly planted in our mind that we should approach everything. Our friendships, our loves, all politics. Now, I know not all of our listeners are in the United States, but politics this year has been particularly nasty. Is this how I begin? Do I I start all of my reasoning, do I start all of my conversations with an understanding of the future weight of glory? waiting in store for the person that I'm talking to. And this season in the Screwtape Letters, we keep coming back to this idea of things which are authentic and things which are parodies, things that are twisted versions of the real thing. And in the sermon, Lewis says that the charity, the love that we have for others, it must be real and a costly sort of love, a love that is willing to sacrifice. And he says that we must have a deep and real love in spite of sin. And he says that this isn't any just mere tolerance. He says that's a parody of love. In an earlier chapter of the Scritic Letters, we spoke about flippancy. And he says that flippancy is a parody of merriment. It's, it's not the real thing. It's a cheap imitation. But it's how he really ends this sermon. That that's what really gets me each time. He says that, Next to the Blessed Sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. All Christians, regardless of their denomination, should hold Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Mass, the Blessed Sacrament, in high esteem, because it was something that was instituted by Christ. And Lewis says that after that, the next holiest thing that your senses are ever going to perceive is another human being someone made in the imago day the image and the likeness of God. And he doubles down by saying that if your neighbor is a Christian, well, then he's almost holy in the same way because of the abiding presence of Christ. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world. And I share this homily just to remind us, and myself in particular, to seek to find Christ Every day in my neighbor. St. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, he said, If you cannot find Christ in the beggar at the church door, you will not find him in the chalice. So as 2020 draws to a conclusion, can I get a hallelujah? As 2020 draws to a conclusion and we begin the new liturgical year and eventually 2021, I pray that we would be a people who would treat others differently, and noticeably so. That we'd be able to keep the weight of glory that awaits every single human person, always before our eyes, and let that be the foundation of how all of our interactions begin and end. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this little Christmas present from myself, Andrew and Matt. Please join us next week when we'll continue to go further up and further in. Merry Christmas.